One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. We went on our date night. The cinema. To see the Emma Stone film, Poor Things. And because we didn't have time to go for dinner beforehand, we decided to go to a boutique cinema that does nice food. And so we go and they have like veggie hot dogs and like margarita pizzas. And you're vegetarian and I'm mostly vegetarian. And so we order veggie hot dogs. And she's like, I'm really sorry we're out of veggie hot dogs. And then we're like, oh, okay, well, can we both have the margarita pizza? And then she's like, I'm so sorry we're out of the margarita pizza. So then we look at the menu and they also do some kind of cheesy focaccia panini thing. So then I go, okay, can we have two of the cheesy... She goes, we're out of that too. And at that point I go... Okay, so I think now is when you should tell me everything you're out of. And she's like, I'm really sorry, um, but th- th- that is everything. And I said, so you don't offer any vegetarian food. If we want hot food, all of it has meat in it. And she goes, yeah, I'm sorry about that. And we go, okay. Like, uh, we're, uh, we're like <laughs> children. Like, we're not well behaved. So then... I mean, I want to say it was with the physicality of someone who's been bumped from a flight. Like, that's <laughs> sort of... That was... And then we start, in a way that's very hostile, picking up every bag of, like, oh, well, I mean, I wanted a pizza, but I guess I'm having caramel corn for my dinner. I'm not literally saying that, but it's the energy I'm using to pick up a bag of caramel corn. You're like... I mean, maybe you'll like these. And you hold up another bag where they're like dried gherkins or something yes, weird. Yes. <laughs> like, so we, I think we wind up with like three bags of shit per person. So six <laughs> bags. <laughs> so we go into the theater, but we have bustling energy. And we've got six bags of shit and two drinks and heavy winter coats. And the lights come down. And then you say, how about our angry snacks? I laughed so so hard, I could not control myself. And then I had to deal with this poor sweet lady next to me who was like, I got a live one. Like, I don't know that she actually said that, but that was what her body communicated to her husband next to her. Now you've got us a great guest for this episode. I have, if I may say. A lot of people have been messaging us saying that they are just now getting onto Fisk. I think the second season only dropped on Netflix just before Christmas. This will be why. So people are going, Fisk, 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 Fisk. And so our guest this week is Australian National Treasure. We said this to her and she tried to poo-poo it, but she's like an Australian National Treasure. And we know this because when we were doing the research on her, any number of articles come up which use that phrase. One even says Australia's Queen of Comedy. She is. I mean, she's fantastic. And she's speaking to us this week. Now, you're doing something different with your quick watch this week. Yes. 
We've just finished the traitors today. Yes. So first of all, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. So this is for people who have finished the traitors, or you just like find me very charismatic and you're never going to watch it, but you just like like. I, I could listen me. to her talk about anything. Oh, I don't know that that's ever been said about me, but we can dare to dream. Okay. So first of all, because we did just finish it, and it's basically one of the greatest TV formats that's ever been devised, aside from, as previously discussed, all the shitty challenges that everyone fast-forwards through. But here's the other problem. What happens after the traitor wins? So this one, when Harry wins it, he wins it all. And I don't think we've watched before where there's been a single winner. So he wins. But having won, he has seriously betrayed his closest friend in the competition. And in that betrayal, he has cost her about 42,000 pounds. So she's gone. He's processing that trauma. And he's alone with Claudia Winkleman. And they are both so awkward together. And there is no sense of an ending. And she's like, you did it. You played a good game. And she's going to touch the money because they have all these like fake coins. And I was like, why should he touch the money? That's not like real gold. They both didn't know what to do in that moment. And what's very funny to me about this is, you know. I've done the tiniest bit of TV, Jeff. You know that I have. And so what I know is these things record very long and then they cut them down. So that that is what made the edit. (laughs) Think how awkward the long version is. Oh my God, what I would give to have seen Claude and this like working class 22-year-old military boy try and talk to each other now that they're suddenly alone without anyone else in the room was so awkward and weird. And then they walk out of the castle And just sort of stand there and she goes, shall we cheers? And I thought, my God, again, for this flawless piece of TV, how did someone not go, this does not work as a grand finale? So my question is, is that a flaw or is it a feature of the format? Mm. So are we supposed to think about him with his hollow victory? Yes, but if that's what you want, then there's a better way to get at that. There's a very quick fix for it. Go on. Fireworks. Or if you want to make it more awkward, you have all the other contestants, faithfuls and traitors, just glaring at him, just standing there off to one side. Oh, my God. If they want to fucking be bold, what they should do is they should have the other people that almost made it come back. And that's when we get the personal story. And that's when someone's like, oh, my mom's been really sick and I was going to use it for private health care because she was going to be on a, a wait list for too long and she was going to die. While fireworks go off. Yeah, yeah, while fireworks go off. But the thing is, whoever those first few people that went that none of us even remember at this point, they're not going to be angry at him. It would need to be like the people like Andrew and Molly and Jazz. Well, same time next year for Traitors? Yes. There is some talk of them doing a celebrity version. I want to advocate for what my friend says they do in Sweden, which is... Is half celebrities, half members of the public, but the celebrities are like famous criminal prosecutors and judges and psychologists, investigative journalists and forensic scientists, people who you would expect to be really smart about people. And guess what? Go on. No different to anyone else on The Traitors. That's so interesting. Now, my quick watch is an excellent three-part documentary on Channel 4. It's called Miners Strike 1984, The Battle for Britain. You came home from work the other night and found me watching this, and you laughed openly at me. I'd come in, and I it was paused, so the name had come up, and it said, like, Miners Strike 1984. And that's just 
so you to me. Because I know minor, if minor strike, if I'm correct, that makes me go the north. Right. And then 1984 is like prime you time. Like, I, like that's a year that you're interested in. <laughs> you really love the minor strike. I do just love the minor strike. I you do. You love the I minor strike. Do. It's your opioid crisis. I was once invited to an 80s themed fancy dress party. And just to make the point that the 80s weren't all about big shoulder pads and mobile phones and the stock market and Duran Duran on yachts, I belligerently went as the minor strike. Oh, my God. Because I, wish- I, rem- I wanted to remind these people in London what the 80s were like in the North. You know what's so appealing is the people from the North that move to the South and then live in the South almost longer than oh. they ever lived in the North, but continue to be like, no, 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 I'm Northern, I'm Northern, I'm Northern. I am, though. No, I know. But, like, if you love it that much, fucking go back there. Do you want to move back to the North? No. Well, there you go. There's your answer. I think part of the reason that it was so omnipresent in my childhood wasn't wasn't just that it was on the news all the time, but my dad would go on about it constantly. So I want to be very clear here. The town I grew up in, which is Macclesfield, just outside Manchester, th- there are no mines there. <laughs> but my dad would constantly be saying... If you'd been born 30 miles north of here, you'd be down pit by now. If I ever showed any kind of ambition or interest in a different kind of life, that was one of his refrains. You'd be down pit by now. But if you... he himself was not a minor. No, he's never, no. But he, he was obsessed with the idea that I should understand that it was only down some quirk of fate that I wasn't down the pit already. <laughs> Did you like it? It's phenomenal. It's three parts and... Each of those three parts tells the story of a different moment in the miners' strike. And it's a lot of interviews with people now reflecting on those days. But it's also so much footage of those times. And it's film that was captured by the National Union of Miners Film Unit. And you see some of that police stuff in a, in a very different light to how it was presented in the news. There'll be plenty of people listening to this who, who aren't as old as I am and don't remember it. And if you if you want to see that story very well told, and you've already seen Billy Elliot. That's when I learned for the first time about the minor strike, and that was too emotional for me, so I don't think I'd be able to handle this. You loved Pride as well. Oh, when they show up at the end? Yeah. When the minors and the gays unite? I couldn't. It was too emotional. <laughs> Seems like it's not just me who's obsessed by the minor strike. But those are two like really Hollywoody versions of it, which is what I'm comfortable with. Yeah. I feel like a deep dive into the minor strike. And it's not about it being too boring. It's I, I think it sounds really, really hard. But you do hear these men talking now about the job with such love. And it's a horrible job. Ugh been down a mine the, the way they were describing it like if, if you wanted to go to the toilet and i'm not just talking oh. um about peeing in the wild like you often do mm. you just had to do it somewhere and then just kick dirt over it so oh, it's like so, shit yeah oh god because where are the loos down the mine oh god so so it's an awful job in this way but the way they talk about it oh. and the love of it and what a golden period it was in their lives i think about what namby pamby jobs i've done and I wouldn't be able to speak with that much fondness about any of them. So what what is it then, do you think? Why does it make them feel like that? I think what it is, is about a time of the life where they, they felt meaningful connection and purpose within the community. Yeah. And I think that's what they're actually nostalgic for. Well, it sounds wonderful and 
absolutely not manageable for me. Well, as ever, we would like you to join in with the podcast. You can email us. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Is there a version of The Traitors that you would like to see? I really would love to watch the celebrity version of The Traitors. They'd better be really fucking good with their casting. I would like to know more about that casting process. So do you know somebody who got a certain way down the line? Yes. Or, and we will give you a cloak of anonymity, did you work on The Traitors? And can you tell us a bit more about how you cast it? Did you try to be on The Traitors? Yeah. And what else can we ask you about this week? Oh, any any other good minor strike recommendations? So that thing Sherwood was really good. Do you remember that, what we watched? Oh, yeah, that was really good. Also, you know what we could bring back? Because your minor strike is my opioid crisis. What is the thing that you will always watch a show yeah, about? Yeah, what's your world? Mine is opioid crisis, Jeff's is minor strike. My friend Malik will watch anything set on a submarine. Yeah, sure, sure. I can see the allure. I don't like them, but I get why he would. And TV recommendations, please. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. This is a call. It's a final call. Last call. Do you want to ask who I'm calling to? Who is it final call to? Final call to the Richies. Richies, you rich shits. It's the very, very end of January. I told everyone else I'd leave them alone until February. Please join our Patreon. Look, this is how good my voice notes are, okay? I went so off the leash with one of them this week that I got hate messages back from, that's overstating it, but you get what I'm saying, from the people who are in my WhatsApp group. Do you understand that these are my most devoted friends and followers, Jeff? (laughs) So so did you have to issue a retraction? These are people who are like, I'm going to pay five pounds a month to hear from you on my phone. And then a couple of them had to be like, hey, just so you know, uh, I'm going so wild. Don't you want that wildness in your life? Were you very certain of yourself with one of your opinions, but you hadn't really thought it through? Well, let me say this. Yes and no. (laughs) I was very certain with one of my opinions. Did you overgeneralize? Yes. I have a thing about people who work in advertising. This was a tangent because my tangents are very fetching and never long-winded. And then I had a few people be like, um... And then I'd be like, well, not you. <laughs> and the thing is, I really meant that. I wasn't just saying not you. I, I think these guys are like lovely. But I had my anecdotal evidence from 15 years ago that I've never forgotten. You went on two dates with two different men who worked on advertising. And I didn't like either of them. And what was I supposed <laughs> to draw? What conclusion was I supposed to draw from that? Look, please join our Patreon. Please, please, please. Don't make me list my needs to you again. But I will. I'll do a quick list of what I need and what you get. I need my eyes done. Do you know what? Look, I'll be honest with you. If you have a lot of money, right? You are looking for the right cause for you. What is the right charity? Where do you know the money will go to the right place? Me and my needs. I'm not even asking to get my eyes done. What I'm asking you people is, do you want me to abandon my dream of getting my eyes done? (laughs) Because that doesn't feel fair. So if you can't, Give me five grand a month. Like, can a whole bunch of you, (laughs) shush, can a whole bunch of you please join? Please, Richie's. Last call, last call. Patreon.com stroke they like to watch. And coming up later, our guest is the creator and star of Fisk. Season two is available now on Netflix. It's Kitty Flanagan. (laughs) 
Right, this week I got you to watch with me Masters of the Air on Apple TV+. And the reason I chose this was I read such a glowing review in The Guardian by Joel Golby, who's writing I really like, in which he described it as the first must-watch TV of 2024 and said you'll be re-watching this. And all I can say is I hope he's okay. That's not a nice thing to say about Joel Golby. What it is is epic and lavish and very expensive. But not that good. Well, I don't think it's that good. good. But but I also don't think it's essential in any way. No, there are two episodes out. We've watched those two. Joel, in fairness to Joel, he's like a hot media insider. So presumably he got access to the whole first season and he's speaking about that, right? Having watched two episodes, it feels like what you will get is a mission in each episode where these Air Force pilots get into their planes and they go and they try and do something to a Nazi site, (laughs) right? To a Nazi stronghold? What would you call it? I don't know. It's just listening to you try and describe. I'm not one of these guys. Like I'm not major? one of these guys who like watches a lot of World War II things or is obsessed by it like a lot of people are. But Here's what I mean by a thing the Nazis are in charge of that they don't want the Nazis to have anymore. Right, yes, yeah. That's a, what they're trying to do. A, a bombing mission, maybe. A bombing mission. Right. Okay, cool. So the bombing missions are traumatic and very... I would say traumatically entertaining to watch. I think they're very gripping and they're there to make you really, truly understand what it would have been like to be in one of these tiny planes, possibly about to die. And in that way, it is very arresting television. Yes. So we should explain that it's uh, executive produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. And it's the third in a trilogy of series, which includes Band of Brothers and Pacific. The cast, I think, is Hot Young Things. But because we are hot things of a certain age, sure, I, I don't really know who any of them are. I, th- I think if you're a young person, you might be getting very excited by seeing all these guys. And it is a bunch of guys. So many guys. Too many dicks on the dance floor. So many dicks on the dance floor. So the ones that I've kind of heard of are Austin Butler. Is that his name? And he was the one who played Elvis in the Elvis film. I find his acting borderline unwatchable in the show. Then there's that Barry... Barry Keon. I thought he was like mind-blowing in Saltburn and mind-blowing in that Banshees of Sharon film. And in this... I, and I think this might be me because I know he's not American. Watching and be like, yeah, I'm a New York guy. I'm like, why is this TV show making this acting maestro mediocre? Well, this is an interesting thing about this show because you're never not aware that it's acting. There's a way in which the characters talk in this, which seems like they're trying to talk like action guys. I'm a, I'm a captain. I'm kind of Elvis, but I'm a captain in World War Two. <laughs> that was sort of what I felt he was doing. And mm. then that Barry guy is going, yeah, but we got to go to New York. I have difficulty telling them apart as well. When they're in the planes, they put these masks on. So then you can't see their faces and you can't hear what they're saying. <laughs> so we just had to put subtitles on. But of course, there's a lot of vomiting because part of what you see is that one of the guys who's expected to navigate them, which is a very important job, as it turns out, has terrible air sickness. So I've wound up sort of not watching the part of the show that I was the most interested in, which is when they're up in the air. Because you're a metaphobia. Yeah. It's not, if you've got a vomit phobia, this is not the show for you. How do you think you would fare in the services if you, I, if you were conscripted? So I'm drafted into the armed forces. Yeah, pick one. Oy, I mean, none of these are right for me. <laughs> I would do ma- like turning the co- military corners. 
of beds. Is that a thing? <laughs> and cooking. So I've never um, done batch cooking. Mm. But I hear great things about it. And I do wonder if I could do some excellent batch cooking. And I think I could put love into my cooking. And I think I could give soldiers uh, a, a shoulder. Like, I think I could help them express their feelings. Or I could give them a little look that said, if you had a tough day out there today and you want to come by, I'm here for a chat. So are you seeing yourself with an enormous vat? Yes. I, and you've got a ladle. Yes. And the, the soldiers are queuing up. And you're giving them a wink. You're a bit wisecracking, but you can also be tender from time to yes. time. Maybe so, even a kiss on the cheek. Oh, I would be. It would be my honor. Are you like Rizzo? Yes, <laughs> I have. Think of like Rizzo, but it's like Rizzo meets Private Benjamin meets Dinner Lady, and that's what I think I would offer. But my rules for my child, and I lead by example, are that my child professionally is not allowed to go too high up in the air or too deep into the sea, or actually on the sea at all. You don't want to be in the trenches either, though. I would research where I'd be least likely to die, and that's what I would do. I'm not quite sure when you're drafted, you you get the pick of it in the way that you're imagining. That is surprising to me. (laughs) You're not allowed to pick. I mean, maybe you pick which service you go into, but but I don't think you you get the option of going, do you know what, I'd like somewhere where there is no combat or danger of death. No, 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 I know you can't do that, but I did think that you would get to go. I think I'd have a proclivity for... The air versus the sea. Yes, I think think that might be true. My mum used to say that if um, national service came back or conscription, that she would break both my legs so I didn't have to go. My mum didn't want me going to war. No, you know that my mother used to always get choked up talking about my brother's asthma and how it meant he'd never have to go to war. (laughs) I remember going to see the careers officer at school. Uh Uh-huh. And he had to say what you're interested in. So I said, oh, I like music. Then they've got this card system. So they go through and look for what job would suit you. And the only job he came up with was joining a military band. (laughs) And I think, number one, I I kind of lack the musical ability. But number two, I think whatever you're doing in the the army, you, you have to go through the basic training first. And that is not for me. Oh, honey. Well, thank God. With all your poor me attitude about certain things, you should feel so grateful that you weren't born in 1918, I guess. Now, these young recruits, these airmen, are stationed here in the UK and they experience a bit of condescension and sneering from the local RAF officers, the Brits. This is one of my other complaints with this show. So there's this scene where, like, there's a hostile exchange between the Brits and the Americans at the local pub or whatever. (laughs) I found that scene so dumb. There was genuinely a conversation about calling it math or maths. This is this thing about this show is that in the bad moments, it feels like it's from 30 years ago. All the British people are either cut glass accents, officer class sneering, or they're ruddy faced peasants who are salt of the earth. Yes. Yeah. And love those Yankees. And that kind of shit is what I found just bizarre about all the, the parts of this show that were not set in the air. But was it not triggering for you as somebody who has experienced anti-American prejudice and sneering from British people? Oh, my gosh. All the time. Within my first couple months here, I we, you took me to the Columbia Road Flower Market. And I very gently, okay, I saw a gorgeous lemon tree. And in the way that I would cup a ball, like tenderly, mm. gingerly, I sort of put my hand against a lemon and the guy who owned the the flower stall had heard me talking he was like 
fucking American, get your fucking hand off me lemons. And I was like, what? Okay. And it just, it never stops. You guys hate us so much. And I understand it from the place of us being like culturally exhausting. But what doesn't feel fair is that we love you so much. Any Brit in America is, it's like a red carpet is rolled out for you people. It's true, actually. You get treated like royalty. I can create a wave of excitement among shop assistants by using a word like cheerio. Yeah, you do it sometimes just to humiliate me. (laughs) And I don't get the same treatment over here. Well, thank you for sharing your trauma. Listen, if I had to summarise this show, I would say it's TV version of a film that wins a bunch of Oscars. So you go to see it and then you fall asleep because it's so boring. Look, I've seen some smart people online saying this show is excellent. If you agree with them, what are we getting wrong? What are we missing? Yes, but before I even give you our email address, explain it to us in a nice way, not a hostile way. In a very kind way, you may write to us and explain why why we're wrong, because I'm very genuinely open to the fact that I'm wrong about this. I'm probably not fully open, but slightly open. Also, we didn't even mention the Nepo babies. Isn't Steven Spielberg's son and Jude Law's son? Jude Law's son is in it? Yeah. Which one is Jude Law's son? I don't know because they all look identical to me apart from the one out of Banshees of Inish Erin. How is it possible that they're not going, Dad, look, let me go. Thank you. Thank you. I got to go get some work elsewhere. Let me get a bunch of work elsewhere in projects that you're not connected to. And let me build up a big reputation. Do you know what people say about you behind your back? Do you care? Or have you been so cosseted your whole life that they, they just say to themselves, no, 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 it's different for us. Well, this, this is the terrible cross they bear. Well, what I'd like to know is, did you spot any other Nepo babies in there? There can't just be two. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrunchandnormcore.com. And coming up next... We actually got her. It is Helen Fisk herself, Australian national treasure, Kitty Flanagan. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You lived over here. When, when was that? I was there from 2001 to 2008. And where did you live? Earl's Court? Highgate. I thought I would never leave. I loved it so much. So why did you leave? It wasn't a conscious decision. I came. I used to come home all the time and do bits and pieces of work, and I came home just for a month of work, and then I got offered more work, and another month went by and another month, and my manager said, oh, look, do you want to just give it a go? You're getting a lot of stuff at the moment. Why don't you just stay and see what happens? So I said, all right, I'll just stay what happens, and, and I got a couple of TV things that kind of lifted my profile, and then I could tour more here, which is always what I wanted to do, and then, yeah, I've been here six months, and... I just went, oh, I think I'm going to have to go back and pack up my flat. I, I don't think I could ever have made the conscious decision to say, I'm leaving, because I thought this was it forever. I thought I was going to die in my flat in Highgate. <laughs> when, you, when you were doing stand-up over here, who were your contemporaries? Who were the comics at the time who, who you knocked around with? Uh, you should just name anyone that's, like, massively famous there now. <laughs> it's like anyone who appears on the end of Graham Norton's couch, I go, Wow. I really have not kicked on compared to everyone I was working with. <laughs> <laughs> the Lee Max and the Greek Davies. And- oh, wow. Yeah. It. So it's that, it's that generation. Yeah. But there's a, there's a bit of false modesty in that, in that, um, you know, when, when I read Australian newspaper profiles or interviews with you, fra- phrases like national treasure and queen of comedy are banded around. <laughs> yes, I'm a national treasure. <laughs> I'm a tell you, we clearly don't have many treasures here if I'm a national one. <laughs> The treasure box is empty, but that's okay. I'll take it. If you think about coming back here, yes, not not to live, but but to do a tour that would maybe be smaller than the one that you could do in Australia. Yes. Does that have any kind of appeal? Well, I would love to come back and and do stand up because I have so much more material now than I had then, and it would all be different. And I would love to see how it goes. But it's about finding out whether there is an audience. For me, like, I mean, I could certainly come back and I'm sure some of the comedy clubs have let me on to do 20, but I don't know that I could pull a crowd in order to do a tour. And I'm certainly not up for going around and doing half-empty theatres. I'll do small theatres, but I want them to be full. <laughs> My ego can't take a half-empty theatre at the moment, <laughs> maybe in another five years <laughs> when I've lost my national treasure status out here. So the first series aired in Australia in 2021. Yes. And, and how long had that idea been knocking around for? Was it something you've been trying to make happen for a while? Uh, look, in various iterations, you know, I mean, I was pitching stuff when I was in the UK that probably involved a character like Helen. You know, Helen has been, I mean, let's not, let's not lie, it's just me. You know, heightened a little bit, but there's not much difference there. So when I look back at all my stuff, you know, it kind of says just Helen by a different name with a different age in the brackets that you put next to it. You know, I probably started at Helen, 33, and then go up to 35, 37, 42, and still being knocked back by the networks. You know, it's kind of 47. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's just kind of taken a different version. And then when um, the producer, Vincent Sheehan, um, suggested setting a show in the world of wills and probate, I just kind of shifted the characters that I'd already written a million times into that world. So, so now I have to know what what situations was Helen in before she was in Wills and Probate? Oh, she's been in a call centre. 
she did the failed stand-up comedian one as well. Probably happy that didn't go, given how often that's been rolled out. It just felt like we were always just looking for a world where you could have a storyline that drove the episode that was kind of interesting. You need that fodder for each different episode from that world of Wills and Probate, but that presented us with difficulties as well that we hadn't foreseen. Like we've we've learned now that it has to be a storyline about an old dead person, so it's not too sad, and they've had a good life. And <laughs> we learned very early you can't kill a young person and do their will because that's never going to be funny. How did you learn that lesson? We we were really lucky. We were picked up on it by a, um, a script editor. We had it in an episode, and yeah. she kind of said, I'm just finding this isn't that funny. The whole thing is just a bit icky. And we went, oh, my God. It's because the woman's son has died, and she's trying to deal with the girlfriend, and they're having argy Like, that's not fun. So we made it her father had died. Oh, and suddenly it's funny if your dad died <laughs> and your dad's got a younger girlfriend. That's hilarious. But, you know, to be dealing with your son's girlfriend, it would have been a disaster. And tell us about the idea of setting it in this world of wills and probate, because it's a long way from the glamorous world of law that we usually see on TV and shows like Ali McBeal and LA Law. I was really keen on making sure we didn't do a glamorous legal show, like that was never going to be something we could do. We didn't want to do court scenes. We didn't want to do any of that, you know, I object. We wanted to make it the sort of law that people actually deal with. Like very few people go to court, but a lot of people end up in a suburban solicitor's office. I was curious about your working relationship with your sister. Because mm-hmm. you two write together. I would say I'm the person that sits with the laptop and I do the actual typing. Um, but she is a lot better at structure than I am. She's a lot better at seeing the holes, and she's also a lot better at being a, uh, a real pain in the ass about it, which is really what you need. Like, I was like, oh, what about this? And she goes, oh, yeah, but why would he do that? And I was like, oh, because blah, blah, blah. And she goes, yeah, it's not really making sense, though, is it? And, like, just really drills down and makes me explain why something would happen so that there's a logic to it. I think you're probably the same as me. You watch a lot of shows and you just go, you know what, if they just turned around and picked up a mobile phone, they'd solve that problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think there was that Sandra Bullock How? movie where, the, you know, the guy woke up and, and she should have just said, no, I'm not your wife. Like, and the movie would have been, <laughs> um, you know, it's always what I come back to. It's like, what if you say I'm not your wife? And this whole thing, well, no, he thinks I'm his wife. Say you're not. There you go. I'm done. When I find out that family members work together, mm. what I always project onto it is like, it's the one person that you can be a complete asshole to. You know, that you can just oh. be, or may- maybe an asshole overstates it, but you can you can sort of forego niceties and you can just be like, I hate that idea. Like, what else? Yeah. Is that part of the fabric of how you and she relate to each other? I think it's the one person that you can really humiliate yourself in front of and not worry. Like, we do a lot of, oh, what about this? What about this? Because a lot of times I'll suggest something and... There's silence, and I just go, well, I've got to be honest, I was really expecting applause for that. I really thought you were just going to give me a standing ovation and go, you have solved it. And instead, the silence tells me everything I need to know. But, yeah, we, we do a lot of, you know, blah, 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 Ross says this, and then go, that's not the dialogue. Obviously, it'll be funnier. It'll be funnier, like, but something like that. And I think that's the kind of openness you need when you're trying to write comedy. You need to be willing to say stupid things that aren't funny because it might make the other person think of something funny. If you're always trying to check yourself and go, I've got to think of the funniest thing first 
before I say it out loud, which is what I would do in a room of really funny comedians that I wanted to impress, you're never going to get anywhere because you've got to say the dumb thing and then she might say something that's a bit better than I might say something that's a bit better than that and it just goes back and forth, but someone's got to say something stupid first. I've heard uh, comedian friends of mine here who work in writer's rooms talk about like the the phrase, um, not this, but, yeah. and how much good <laughs> stuff can come yeah. out of the phrase, okay, guys, like not this, but, yeah. and then just the freedom to say that. You're basically really saying, I'm aware this isn't as funny as you all want it to be, but here it is anyway. <laughs> Someone else fix it. Do you love being in the writing phase or is it kind of the worst part of the whole thing? Yeah, the writing is the worst, like in a good way, but God, like it just... <laughs> It's so hard. It's like pulling teeth, you know, just to get that first oh. episode. Once it's out, like once you've got a first draft, then it's easy and then it's fun. Then it's just going back over it and, you know, taking bits out and putting bits in and, you know, really honing the dialogue and adding more jokes. That bit I love. But that first bit of getting a draft on the page and making sure everything works and that there's a plot and that there's this and that it all ties up, it's like, oh, kill me. This is too hard. <laughs> This third season, oh, I want to kill myself. <laughs> it's too hard. What have you done already and what still needs doing? We've got five episodes, got one more to go, and we're just going back okay. and we're redrafting the first five so that we make sure we've got anything we need for ep six already. How does it go? Like, are you, do you and your sister always meet in the same room? Do you have an office that you go to? We have to do it remotely now because I was in Sydney, but I moved to Melbourne because I knew I right. wanted to shoot the show in Melbourne and I love Melbourne. So we do a lot with just sharing a screen and on the phone. It's much easier when she comes down. It's much easier in person. It's very distracting trying to do it on the phone. Because you know half the time. I know she's looking at jumpsuits and pretending to just talk to me because we don't do FaceTime. Oh, my gosh. It's like I can hear her fingers clicking. She's jumpsuits. looking at jumpsuits on phone. <laughs> Most of what I do now on the internet, I bought one great jumpsuit kitty and it changed my body and I'm forever chasing the next jumpsuit. Are you on Vinted? Do you do Vinted? It's not me. I'll put you in touch with my sister. She's the one that's always online buying jumpsuits. <laughs> I have so many questions about jumpsuits on Vinted. I want to be Helen. I just want to have one thing every day. I should have been in the army or something. I just want a uniform uh -huh. to wear every day. <laughs> I, just, I find it draining thinking about what to wear. Could you not find a religion that has garb? <laughs> Even with stand-up, you know, I kind of, I book myself in to do gigs. I think I'm going to go down and do 10 at that comedy club. I'm going to go and do 15 tonight. And then it comes to 4 o'clock and go, oh, I've got to get dressed and do hair and oh, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to do the comedy. I still have to get dressed. And now they video everything is videoed all the yeah. time. So it's not just your look. It's like looking at yourself back <laughs> in the look that you chose. But you'll be thrilled to hear, Sarah, when I was on my tour, my last tour, I bought two of the same jumpsuit and I wore a denim jumpsuit every night on tour. <laughs> this is what jumpsuits is giving so many of us. <laughs> So many of us girls, just the top and the bottom is immediately chosen. Yeah, that's I mean, so interesting about stand-up, though. You like, What are you trying to say about yourself as a stand-up? What job are the clothes playing for you on stage? It's much easier now, Jeff. It's much easier now that I'm old and, you know, no one cares what I look like on stage. But when you're young, it's really hard being a young woman on stage. I would always wear pants anyway. They're not underpants, but, like, pants, pants. I don't want to wear a skirt on stage. I don't want to wear heels. You know, I want to be able to stomp around. I want to have a bit of, you want to have a bit of authority. 
And there are women who can do it and wear skirts on stage and dresses and look fantastic and dress amazing. I just can't pull that off. I don't want my clothes to say anything about me. I just I want to kind of disappear and just talk and have people. But 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 that's a choice, isn't it? Make, making sure that your clothes don't say about anything about you yeah. is a choice you have to make as a stand-up as well. Yeah, I did this show and I was on with the host and myself and another guy who was also a comedian and they immediately put the two guys in suits and I said, well, I want to wear a suit too. And they said, oh, okay, well, that's a statement. I said, it's not a statement. I just do not want you coming to me every week going, do you want to wear this fashionable top? What about this? This is in fashion. I said, just get me a suit and I will wear the same thing that the guys wear. You know how, like, we are all sort of on the same page, some of us, that it's dumb to put girl, like little girls in pink and boys in blue. But I feel that's still happening on telly with male and female comics. It's like a guy can do whatever. But with any woman, it's like, let's get you in a color. Can we do a bright <laughs> color? And it's like... Why do I have to do bright color and he can be in a T-shirt? I don't, uh, you know, it's so dumb. One of the things about Helen as a character that I strongly relate to, and and I think we're similar ages, is I think of myself as one of the good ones. And and it's the world that has old fogied me unexpectedly. Like, I don't want to be that person. I I want to celebrate the younger. I don't want to be bewildered and confused. Do you think at the heart of Helen, it's just that that is an inevitable thing that happens to us? A lot of shows kind of do, ah, that dumb young person on reception. We really wanted to make George a kind of a bit of a wise soul and and to have a nice relationship between him and Helen rather than, oh, fractious, the youth don't understand. They're lazy. They're this, they're that. I really was conscious of... Oh, don't be that person. You hated those people when, when you were younger. <laughs> you hated old people that went, in my generation, it was heaps better. So we sort of wanted to have them both, like, more curious of each other than sort of, old people are annoying. Young people are annoying. So that was a real conscious effort. And we're really helped by having Aaron Chen because he's such a delight and he's such a unique little unit. And how about Julia Zamiro, I think it is, who plays Roz? She is fantastic. We've been friends for probably 30 years now and have been trying to kind of get something that we can work on together. I've been threatening to write a show for us for ages and just haven't been able to get anything up. And, she is a comic um, genius. Yeah, she's, and see, I knew she was she was great, but she's more of an improviser. And, and out here she's very well known, but as a host... And she started out as an actor, but then kind of transitioned into this host role and hadn't done a lot of acting for a long time, and she didn't want to do the role. We have very different levels, like in, in real life. Like, my, I'm far more low-key, and she's she's just big. But she's also got a dial on it, and she was aware of that. Yeah. She said to me, you just tell me what you want. You know, if I'm giving you 11 and you want three, just turn me right down. <laughs> and so that's what we do. I've never thought about the idea of like someone just having a dial. That's all you really <laughs> want. Like I'll take anything from anyone, but right. You want to know there's a dial where yeah. you can like circumstance depending kind of adjust up or down. Marty is a good friend of mine as well who plays Ray. We're on the, um, we've been on the comedy circuit out here for years together. So he's another stand-up comedian. Aaron's a stand-up comedian who I was very aware of and, we wrote the role for you. You did a very good job of casting stand-ups who can actually act. Because a beef that I have 
is when I see stand-ups put their friends in. And you're like, that is lovely as a friend, <laughs> but I think you've affected the quality of your show because it, right. I don't believe it was the best person for the right. job. And so okay. knowing nothing about the show going in, it really just felt like someone cast the best people for it. I'll tell you, Marty, Marty was the big surprise, the guy who plays Ray. Uh, we'd auditioned yeah. pretty much every actor because we thought we had to have an actor for that role. We'd auditioned everybody, and everybody was making wow. such an asshole. And we we're going, he's not supposed to be an asshole. He's just supposed to be this guy, you know. But you kind of like him. You can't help it. He's from another time, but he's not an asshole. And then yeah. we just sort of said, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if Marty will, you know, do. It. And the network obviously wanted to see an audition, and he was the first person. He sent us a tape, and I just went, oh my god. He can hear it. He can hear how we've written it. The audition scene he sent back in was when Ray's looking at the painting in episode one and, and goes, oh, that's done with cheers, is it? And the way he did it, it was just so quiet and so just, like, intrigued by it. Oh. And it, there was nothing, like, grubby about it. You know, he really took a beautiful pause, whereas everyone else had really been hammering it. So it's all done with cheese. It was like, oh, stop it. No, you're making it horrible. This could be really funny if it was just thrown away really gently. But otherwise, it's gross. And Marty nailed it. He was amazing. Kitty, I have to ask, do you have a will? Like, have you already done your own will? You will not believe this, but no, I haven't. And at the end of season one, I thought, I've got to do a will. And then I went in to try and get it done. And, oh, it was so boring. I just, <laughs> it was too much paperwork and I didn't do it. I think if you have kids, you really have to do a will. I don't have kids. So it's like, I'm just going to leave this mess for someone to clean up. Before we let you go, what are you watching at the moment and what should we be watching? Oh, oh, I'm so glad you asked because I'm watching Slow Horses, which I know I'm very slow to. We'll we, we were late on that as well. It's so good. And Will Smith I worked with on the circuit over there. He was a comedian when I was a comedian. And he was just the most delightful person. And I always remember him saying something really funny about network notes and dealing with network people. I won't repeat it because it might get him in trouble. But it stays with me all the time. Whenever I get my notes, I hear Will's voice in my head and I laugh every time. And... Obviously, I watched the thick of it, and then I watched his work on Veep, and I was saying, my God, he's amazing. And then to do Slow Horses as well, I just went, oh, what what a wonderful, talented man he is. I also loved Ashling B's show, and I'm hoping there's going to be another season of that. Oh, um, This Way Up, that one? Yeah, I thought that was, that was fantastic. Really I really enjoyed that. Didn't you just love Kitty Flanagan? I just loved Kitty Flanagan, and I'm so glad that I did because I would have been very, very sad if she had been in any way, even so much as cold. That would have disappointed me. And she was the opposite because, like a pair of amateurs, we had terrible, terrible oh technical issues. It was seven in the morning here. We had to make her go and update some software on her computer. Then she had to put an app onto her phone just so she could talk to us. And then we started having all kind of technical gremlins during the thing. I mean, it was very embarrassing. We really embarrassed ourselves, didn't I was, we? I was saying the phrase, I'm so sorry to say this, but this has never happened before. It's very dog ate my homework. Yeah. This has never happened before. She was so nice and so great. She made me feel hopeful about my 50s. I'll say that as well. And um, aren't we all just so excited for season three of Fisk? You know, you keep talking about your 50s as if they're imminent. Well, it's because I'll be like in the next few months, I'll be 45. And I feel like 40 feels still within reach when you're 44. 
once you hit 45, it's like, it's just right there. And I just need, you know, I need to do some stuff for me, which is I should probably exercise more and I'm trying to go heavy on the protein. Okay. Then you guys who listen to this, you need to do your fucking part and join our Patreon so I can fucking do some work on my face because I can't do that right now. But if you would just, you know, show me a little love, we'd be in business. Email time. This first email comes from Hannah, who writes, Hello, FCNNC. Just a few points of business from this week's pod. My husband and I also have date night tomorrow. So she went on date night when we went on date night. We could have double dated. And we're also going to see Emma Stone in Poor Things. What maybe we, maybe Maybe we did double date. Maybe they were sitting next to us in the cinema. No, I would have gotten a look from her that said, Hello, celebrity. <laughs> It's our 10th wedding anniversary, and we got married in a cinema. Look, Hannah, so our 10th wedding anniversary was in September, and part of our wedding happened in a cinema, because Jeff hates dancing, so we didn't do any of that, so we all went to see a film instead. So we're basically the same person. Number two, beef is wild. She's talking about the show, not the dead animal that people eat. Number three, I have to confess, I'm not signed up to the Patreon. Okay, how are you doing that? Thank you for being honest. I'm doing okay because she's acknowledging it and she's being honest with me. And I thank you. She says, I started my own business just over a year ago and not feeling quite as confident in my relationship with money at the moment. I completely understand and I have been there. But we would accept equity in your business. No, I won't. What if she sells it though to Google? Hannah, when you can, three pounds a month, okay? And up until that point, why don't you tell a friend? Um, but she says she always listens to the ads in full hope this contributes in some way. Does it contribute if people don't fast forward through the ads? Yeah. If you're not joining the Patreon, listen to all of the ads. We love our advertisers and we would welcome the opportunity oh. to show them what, what we could do in the form of sponsorship. Oh, my God. <laughs> As we learned this week, we do have listeners who work in advertising because I slagged off advertisers. But let me be clear with you. I was talking about these two guys who I dated in 2007. They were relevant. And I have learned and I have grown. Okay, you don't understand what a good saleswoman I am. Basically, guys, if we ever do an ad on this podcast with our voices, we're making some money. Okay, <laughs> if you hear other people vocalizing ads, we're, we're making some money, but it's a very, very different amount of money. Is yes, that a fair? Yeah, yeah. yeah? So, yeah. so if you are, don't want to join the Patreon, you probably have money, but it's just like not your vibe or whatever. But you work in advertising. I could be so good at plugging Anything to do with hair, fucking forget about it. <laughs> what about those boxes of vegetables that get delivered? <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> I could be so good at boxes of vegetables that get delivered. <gasps> oh, what about those businesses where they, like, deliver you flowers every month? Yeah, yeah. Mattresses? Yes. I could be so good on an orthopedic pillow. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, because I want you to be understand I'm being really serious with this. I wouldn't be good with, with earphones, earplugs, rather. I wouldn't be good at plugging earplugs. <laughs> Because I don't really believe in them, but I believe in the power of a strong mattress. Doc Martens, I think I could be good with. So seriously, if you could get us an actual advertising deal, it would, for real, it would change our lives. Be in touch. Thanks for the weekly chatter, Hannah. This comes from Kate uh, in response to our question about whether you've ever lived somewhere or near somewhere that's been featured in a film or a TV program. Dear FC and NC, I live in Richmond, London Borough of, where many TV shows are filmed. Ted Lasso, Sandman, Bridgerton, Fleabag, and many, many more. In Ted Lasso, Richmond is a premiership football team with avid fans 
who behave like they're from the East End. I am proud how Richmond has not become some sort of tourist shrine to Ted Lasso, in spite of its huge popularity in the States. I think there is a tour to cater for American tourists, but otherwise we pretty much ignore it. Nearby Hampton was the location of the very last scene of Fleabag, where, spoiler, she sits crying at a fake bus stop after the hot priest dumps her. They filmed outside the gift shop where I sold greetings cards and the owners were very surprised when the crew turned up with a live fox. Kate, you might be interested to know, I'd been to dinner with Andrew Scott because this friend of mine, Rafe, knows all these famous people. He was very, very, very nice. Thank you, Kate. This next email comes from my brother. I mean, I don't think it's great that I pretty much always include my family members' emails. Who am I to be talking about Steven Spielberg? (laughs) The subject header of this email was, am I my mother? And I didn't understand what he was talking about. And then I realized that's only a reference to him emailing into our podcast multiple times. And it was also um, in response to you asking if you Google a celebrity, like how you Google them, because I always Google the name plus wife or husband. Sam writes, I have zero expectation of this being aired. And then my brother's signature emoji is a flamenco dancing lady. So you never get a text correspondence from my brother without a flamenco emoji. How long before he gets one of those as a tattoo? My brother has horrible tattoos. Oh, I hate them. (laughs) Oh, God. Do you think they're the worst part of him? Why don't you describe his worst tattoo? I mean, where to fucking begin? He tattooed the words. This is making him sound insane. And I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if the world can take this description of my brother followed by what he says in the email, but let's try it. Okay, so he has a tattoo on his ass and it says the words your name in like a cursive. And this was so when he was at university, like if women asked about tattoos, he could say to them, I have your name tattooed on my ass. I can't even. It's so... So crazy. So wait, so he's got your name on his ass. He has the fleur-de-lis. He has like a borderline snake phobia. So he has like a no smoking sign, but instead of a cigarette, there's a snake. So those are three. (laughs) So anyway, this is to do with how you Google a celebrity. When I have an interest in an actor who is on a program I'm watching, the first thing I do is Google image search that celebrity's name followed by butt. Your nephews are currently obsessed with iCarly. What is iCarly? It was like a Nickelodeon show. And that Jeanette McCurdy, who wrote that book called I'm Glad My Mom Died. Um, So he Googles Jeanette McCurdy butt. Uh-huh. My wife and I are watching the new American Traders. So I Google Pavarti Swallow. This is a reality star. I know, understand. Pavarti Swallow butt. Then in parentheses, he writes, howdy doody. <laughs> When he says, when I have an interest in an actor who's on a program, I, I Google the He means a woman it. that he right, wants right, to right, fuck. Right, 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 right. That's so, what he means. So it's, it's, it's not just all actors, it's just attractive it's women. It's only women that he finds attractive. So he Googles their name followed by butt. Yep, and then looks at their butts online. <laughs> then he writes, don't ask me why I'm prone to objectifying women. Ask your dad. <laughs> now, what's funny about this is that my parents are in a dynamic where my mother has so much power over my father that if the genders were reversed her friends would have had an intervention. <laughs> like, if my dad was a woman, friends would have intervened and been like, we don't feel comfortable watching you at this dynamic. <laughs> so I just want to say, I don't actually think that that's how my father lives his life. What is interesting is that it is a little bit how my brother lives his life. But then I guess I always feel kind of comfortable with it because he wound up married to an equal. 
Right. So if like something about my sister-in-law made me slightly uncomfortable about choices my brother made, then I wouldn't find this funny. In case you guys need that. Now that you know about his tattoos and you know that he Googles women's asses all day, I just want you to know you'd like him if you met him and you'd also like his wife. The email address, should you need it, is? Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. This week, Kitty Flanagan liked to watch Slow Horses on Apple TV Plus and This Way Up, which I think is on Channel 4. Sarah liked to watch The Traitors on BBC iPlayer. I like to watch Minus Strike 1984, The Battle for Britain on Channel 4. And we watched Masters of the Air on Apple TV Plus. Well, we did it. We made it through January. Are you doing Dry January? Does Dry January annoy you a little bit in certain people? This suggests to me that it does annoy you a little bit in certain people. You know, there are plenty of people who, if they're doing Dry January, I think, good on you. And other people, it really annoys me. Uh Uh-huh. Look, January ends. We'll see you in Feb. It's Valentine's Day month. And I'm wondering if the way that my mother has her wind socks for every month that all reference some kind of holiday in that month, if like that's who I will become in our goodbyes. So like I will become Miss Valentine's Day Mm. in Feb and really, really get us all geared up for Valentine's Day. I think a lot of people, in fact, maybe most people think it's silly. It is silly. But it's but, something to do, isn't it? Yeah, I think the, what, what Jeff and I will say to you is that as people who are completely disconnected from sports, we need ritual. We need meaning. We need shape. And so any opportunity for a holiday, we'll take one. Not that you have to do that. January ends. It's a little cold, but it was a little sunny. And this is a place where we are grateful for the positive things that we get. That's who I am now. Bye. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.